Hi, have you ever felt burned out, frustrated, disappointed, and even jaded as you tried to conform to other people's idea of what a good Christian looks, talks, and acts like? Have you ever felt like even though you love Jesus with all your heart, you must be falling short somewhere because you just don't seem to fit in anywhere you go? Has the whole find a need and fill it mentality dragged you down, sapped you of your energy and your joy, and left you wondering if you are really a Christian at all? Over the next several episodes, I'm going to be talking about these things and more as I explore God's idea of the Christian experience. Welcome to Stronger at Rest, where together we explore the heart of God, encounter His lavish love, and emerge in complete freedom as the people He created us to be, daily stronger at rest. There are some very strong opinions out in the world and in local church fellowships about what a Christian life looks like. Many of them are based on external ideals, but it seems few are based on the foundation of what it means scripturally to be a Christian. Christian means little Christ. And this is appropriate because Jesus is not just our example. He is the key to the whole being a Christian thing. <laughs> in my video, Encountering God's Love, I share about an encounter with a woman who asked me if I was a Christian. The mental checklist I ran through had nothing to do with Jesus. He wasn't even a consideration. I said yes because I didn't smoke, I didn't drink much, I didn't cuss out loud, I didn't use illegal drugs, I was nice to people, and I believed there was a God. The end. Jesus didn't cross my mind when responding to that question. Her response, tell me about your relationship with Jesus, floored me and sent me on a mission to learn more about him. I went to many different churches over the course of the next couple months, and only once did I hear anything at all about Jesus. It was both disheartening and eye-opening. Apparently, Jesus is the most offensive thing about being Christian, even to Christians. It's why so many ideas of what the Christian life is are so unlike his life and so void of his presence and his power. So before we talk about living the Christian life from a scriptural perspective, let's spend some time talking about what Jesus did and why it matters. And yes, I am going to start in Genesis. <laughs> Adam and Eve are a great example of God's original intent for humanity. When he created people, he put us in the place of his presence, the Garden of Eden, where we could live in close personal fellowship with him. His life flowed in and through them. 
I've heard it taught that the reason Adam and Eve did not know they were naked is because the glory of God so fully permeated them that they literally radiated his beauty and anointing like a flashlight filament that can't be seen when the light is turned on because of the intensity of the light. There, in His presence, they functioned perfectly. They were the delight of His heart, and He was the delight of theirs. But then, as now, God didn't want them to choose Him for lack of options. He wanted them to have the freedom to choose Him, to love Him on purpose. And to do that, he had to put something in their environment that allowed them to make that decision. In the case of the Garden of Eden, he put the tree of the wisdom of good and evil. And upon giving them dominion over absolutely everything else, he asked them one thing. Don't eat from that one tree. One tree. Every time they came near it and chose not to eat its fruit because of their love for him, they chose to delight his heart and please him, not from compulsion, but from love. This ability to decide strengthened their relationship with him. When they eventually chose to do what pleased themselves above what they knew would please God's heart, everything changed. See, that's what sin is. It's those things that hurt the heart of God, that are opposed to what He has asked us, that put our own desires above His desires under the false idea that if we don't do it ourselves, then our desires will always go unmet. It demonstrates that we don't know Him well enough to trust the promise and provision of His love and His power towards us and it cuts us off from relationship with Him. The result of Adam and Eve choosing to meet their own needs and desires instead of trusting God and choosing love-based obedience were devastating. Suddenly, they were naked. His resonant glory left them. It wasn't a punishment, but a natural consequence of the choice they made. For the first time, they felt shame and guilt, and they hid themselves from God. The awareness of what they did and the significance of the impact sent them running from Him instead of to Him. Where they once delighted to walk with Him in the cool of the day, enjoying face-to-face -face fellowship with Him, they now feared the sound of His voice calling out to them. Their choice changed their nature. They went from a nature of love, faith, joy, delight, confidence, and trusting relationship with one another and with God to a nature of fear, shame, guilt, condemnation, and selfishness. Again, God didn't do it to them. It was a byproduct of the choice they made to do the one thing He explicitly asked them not to do. But what did God do? Did He smite them? Did He rain down thunder and lightning and burn them to crisps? Did He crush them like bugs? No! God Himself made a sacrifice on their behalf. He killed an animal, skinned it, and clothed them in its hide. 
He explained to them the consequences of their actions, which included consequences to the serpent who had tempted them in the first place. He didn't curse them. Their actions made them susceptible to things they had never been susceptible to before. And he was letting them know the full extent of those consequences. Then, because he loved them so much, he put them out of the garden. This was an incredible act of love and protection. The tree of life was still in the garden. Had they eaten of it, they would have had to live eternally with no hope of redemption, no hope of restored relationship, no hope of coming back to that place of his pleasure and delight. And he wasn't about to put them in that situation. So he took them out of harm's way, like any good parent would, and blocked access to the place they had originally experienced such joy and such pleasure. <clears throat> Where they functioned perfectly in his presence, filled with his glory, living in harmony, in a love relationship with the one who created them, they began to malfunction out of that place. All through the Old Testament, you see examples of the malfunction of separation. It impacted all of us, and still does. You can look around and still see the impacts of malfunction. But thanks be to God for the indescribable gift of Jesus, whom he sent into the world to save it and restore us back to that place of his presence, back to the place of original intent where we can function optimally. There was only one way to restore what had been lost. A human had to live a life that continually and in all ways chose God, chose his love, chose to love him in return. By the choice to be obedient in all things, no matter how counter those things may have been to his own will. This person had to be tempted in every way that humanity is tempted and yet still choose to delight the Father. He had to experience the breadth of being human and choose to always run to God, never from Him. And that is what Jesus did. Scripture makes it very clear that He did not live life as God. He laid down 100% of His glory and power to be born and live the life He led. We'll look at that in greater detail in another episode, but for now, it's vital to understand that he lived his life from a place of a love relationship with the Father, where at every turn he chose the will of God over his own personal will, demonstrating to us what a life lived from a relationship with God actually looks like. When Jesus died, he did not just die as a sacrifice like the scapegoats of the Old Testament. He actually became sin. All the sins of all humanity for all time. And he died as sin. As he hung on that cross as sin personified, the Father turned away from him. His holiness could not stand before that sin without destroying it. And he did. He poured out all of his wrath and anger against sin, against the consequences of it in the lives of those he loved so dearly on Jesus. It was not just the beloved Son of God who died on that cross. 
It was that sin nature of fear, isolation, rebellion, selfishness, guilt, and shame, the full consequence of Adam and Eve's choice of themselves and temporary pleasure over love and their relationship with God. As sin, Jesus died, and all the weight of the penalty and consequence died with him. While his body was buried, he was in hell, literally separated from God the Father. But because the consequence of sin is death, and Jesus had never actually personally sinned by choosing anything or anyone over the will of God for him, the grave could not hold him. And the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead three days later. But the story doesn't end there, like Easter might lead you to believe. See, he spent 40 days on earth talking to his disciples, revealing himself to them and to others. And when those 40 days were over, he ascended, still alive, into heaven, where he placed his blood on the mercy seat on behalf of everyone who would choose to believe that it had been done on their behalf. And nine days after he ascended into heaven, the Father poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit upon all those who had been waiting The Holy Spirit came, the promise of Jesus, empowering them to live life in unity and harmony with the Father, doing all they saw him doing, saying all they saw him saying, just as Jesus had. See, without Jesus there is no Christian life, but with him there is abundant life and love, an amazing reconnection with the original intent and dream of God's heart acceptance and adoration and delight. His sacrifice is the gift and invitation to step into something beyond your wildest imagination. No, not everything will be rainbows and roses. There are gonna be trials and difficulties, frustrations and struggles and places where you get to choose God over yourself. And when those things are encountered from the place of the presence and pleasure of God, they're totally different. He has changed my life in ways I can't even begin to describe, including setting my to-do list to earn his love on fire and turning my eyes to him instead of the world's idea of what a Christian should look like. If you've never accepted the loving gift of God that is the sacrifice and life of Jesus, I encourage you to allow the reality of his love and grace to saturate and draw you right now. Allow your ears to hear his voice calling your name, filled with pure delight and desire, and allow your heart to respond. There is no right or wrong way to accept his gift. I'll leave you with this passage of scripture from the Passion Translation. It's Romans 10. 6 through 13. But we received the faith righteousness that speaks an entirely different message. Don't for a moment think you need to climb into the heavens to find the Messiah and bring him down, or to descend into the underworld to bring him up from the dead. 
but the faith righteousness we receive speaks to us in these words of Moses. God's living message is very close to you, as close as your own heart beating in your chest, and as near as the tongue in your mouth. And what is God's living message? It is the revelation of faith for salvation, which is the message that we preach. For if you publicly declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will experience salvation. The heart that believes in him receives the gift of righteousness, and then the mouth gives thanks to salvation. For the scriptures encourage us with these words, everyone who believes in him will never be disappointed. So then faith eliminates the distinction between Jew and non-Jew, for he is the same Lord, Jehovah to all people. And he has enough treasures to lavish generally, generously <laughs> upon all who call on him. And it's true. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Yahweh will be rescued and experience new life. Have a wonderful day. I pray that you would encounter the love and passion of Jesus in a fresh way today and that your heart would be open to his invitation to bring you in and take you deeper into his heart and his perfect love for you. This has been your daily Stronger at Rest. If you haven't already, I invite you to click subscribe now so you don't miss a single episode. For more of my content, visit StrongerAtRest.com where you can sign up for my newsletter and find exclusive posts not shared in other places. This episode is brought to you by Senecal TV, Vitality Education on Demand. There, Jaren and I equip you to defy the status quo. Define vitality for yourself based on your own identity, values, and desires. Develop the capacity to live the truths you discover out loud and be deployed into your families, workplaces, and communities in the fullness of who you were created to be. Enjoy a free one-week trial as well as half off your first month by using promo code STRONGERATREST. Thank you for joining me today. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow in another episode.